Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Go fuck yourself, Batman. <laughs> I thought that line was a little hard. <laughs> I am the knight. I mean, isn't it pretty much a rule of thumb that any movie based on a video game has a 99% chance of being a bad You shut movie. the fuck up about Tomb Raider. That was a good movie. <laughs> it wasn't. I feel like this is probably like there's some form of this line in every Batman property, but he's like, I wiped your bottom. Of course I know you better than everybody else or something. There's always references to Alfred wiping Bruce Wayne's ass, and I just <laughs> want to know why. Does that mean the parents never wiped his ass? Because, I mean, he was potty trained by the time that the parents were shot. So it's like, did the parents really never change Bruce Wayne's diaper? Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, man. there is. An infallible way. They won. What's well, a casino? People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? I don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it. It gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter, fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hello there, guys, and welcome into episode 29 of Film Tank. On this episode, we'll be discussing the 1993 animated film, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I'm your host, Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we have Nick Cheney. Hi. Hello. And also Tucson Egan here. I am the knight. Oh, are you? Okay. That was really loud. You just, like, peeked there a little bit. That's okay. We'll, uh, we'll accept I that. I peeked a little time. bit, too. Ooh, I felt the table rise. <laughs> We're back. Yeah, I was going to say, well, we were technically never gone, so... I know, but physically, maybe we should let the audience in on this little secret. Oh, well, th- due to the magic of editing and planning, um, the last uh, three episodes that we uh, released, we actually recorded earlier on, which maybe uh, makes makes a little better sense of why we haven't discussed current events on those episodes. Did you hear about Donald Trump? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it would have been weird because, like, the one episode, uh, I think it was, was it for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Like, we recorded that in, like, May or something like that. It I was think like, so. It was, like, or maybe June. It was, it was like, a while ago. Yeah, because that was the first one we did, even yeah. though it's not the first one we released in this sequence of uh, lost basement tapes, so to speak. Yeah, well, I was going to be out of town, and every I think everybody pretty much had yeah, stuff going on in August. I was having surgery, and, yeah, and Nick, Toussaint said he just didn't want to do it for a while, and... 
That's yeah. not true. Yeah, I was busy. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. I deny that. Sounds like a presidential candidate there. I, I did am not, not say a crook. That. I'm a plain honest man. <laughs> so, um, in addition to Batman Mask of the Phantasm, since, as we just mentioned, we haven't actually done the last few episodes on time... Oh, and by the way, if you uh, really wanted to hear that uh, Rounders episode that we took forever releasing, you can thank all of us for that because we're all really lazy. But yeah. it got out eventually, so it's good. Yeah, it yeah. did. Yeah. 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 Yay. <laughs> you know, you just got to go with the cards you're dealt with. There. See, know when to all, hold them, when to fold them. It's all roping back. It's all coming back. It's uh, all good. It's good to be back. Yeah. It is. It really does feel... It actually does. It's I mean, it's unfortunate back. we had to do it with this movie, but we... Uh, Ooh, spoiler for... Just the, kidding. Spoiler no, for I just wanted not. to see Tucson's face when I said that. Oh. But actually. <laughs> spoiler for later in the episode for things that may be coming from Nick Cheney. First, though, as I mentioned, not uh, too many current events on the last few episodes. So let's do a week in review, which is more like a, a month in review segment since we uh, all have things we've watched over the last few weeks that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about. Uh, and I guess we should start off with, uh, let's start with Tucson. He doesn't usually start this segment. Let's start with him. Awesome. Did you watch yeah. Predator this week? I think we were all very concerned. No, I did not watch Predator this week okay. or Why any not? other week in the past month. <laughs> um, I actually went to go see, in this order, I went to go see The Man from Uncle, the new Guy Ritchie film. And then I went to go see Hitman, Agent 47. And I thought that... Man from Uncle was one of the most aggressively subpar films I had seen in a very long while until I went to go see Hitman, which was one of the worst films I have seen in recent memory. I so worse I could... than Unfinished Business. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ooh. I, uh, I hate both of those films with a burning passion. Um, for Uncle, with uh, Henry Cavell, who plays like this not James Bond-esque character, like some CIA, like former art thief um, and Army Hammer, who plays like a latent sociopath, um, like Soviet agent. And the chemistry between the two is just absolutely abysmal. The humor is awful. Um, Nick, what's the name of the uh, the, the woman from... Alicia Ex- Vikander. Yeah, she was in this movie as well as a sort of... Michael Fassbender's beau. That's uh, not what she was in the movie, but that that is what she... Yeah, that'd be weird because Michael Fassbender wasn't actually in the correct. film. Yeah. But that's just a little fun fact. In real life. There's a Hollywood power couple for you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but no, that's oh. what I was saying. Oh, good for them. Anyway, but yeah. she was terrible in this movie. I didn't like her. Um, and yeah, it was absolutely... Sorry, shit. Michael. <laughs> Don't go see it. Uh, yeah, it's not Michael's fault. It's not her fault either. It's Guy Ritchie's fault. Uh, and then I went to go see Hitman, Agent 47... And that now, was... I haven't. I just want to know because I haven't seen that movie. But mm-hmm. I, I'm curious. Can I watch that with uh, without having seen one through forty six, or do I have to watch the the first one? Oh, first? Nick, you are you are the first person to ever make that joke. Are you serious? You oh are man, so funny! <laughs> oh oh my god. god. <laughs> um, stay away. Don't don't go see it. You heard it was based on a video game. Don't bother. Don't bother going to see it. Even if you like the video game, don't go see it. It's terrible. I mean, isn't it pretty much a rule of thumb that any movie based on a video game has a 99% chance of being a bad You movie. shut the fuck up about Tomb Raider. That was a good movie. It wasn't. <laughs> he got really serious there for a second. I was just like... I thought you were going to cite a real example. No. Yeah. The I mean, best that... video game movies are not about video games, like Edge of Tomorrow or Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. 
Yeah, Mario Brothers with uh, Bob Hoskins. You know, you joke, but I loved that movie when I was a kid. And I still think I haven't seen it since I was a kid. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I love it. Yeah, I haven't, seen it, since I I was haven't a kid. seen it since I was a kid, and I didn't but see it then. I still think that, from what I remember of it, it's probably and most definitely a bad film. And yet, it's at least a bad film that captures the imagination of a child. And that, sure. that speaks for a lot. Sure. I guess. Doesn't Dennis Hopper play the uh, the villain in that? Yeah, he plays uh, the Koopa. The villain? He's Bowser. No, he's Koopa. No, oh, he's King just Cooper? Koopa. King Koopa. 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 Yeah, he's he's, he's been, not Bowser. Fuck off. Why is there no Bowser in it? Because, I don't know, they didn't want to put Bowser in it. The That's... CGI didn't exist at that time. Yeah. Oh, it existed. They just were lazy. Just mm. like everything else in that film. So they just gave him, like, frosted, like, tips on the top of his... <laughs> Head. I would rather talk about Brazil. Super Mario Brothers than Hitman. That's how that okay. was. Yeah. Oh, that's not a ringing endorsement for Hitman 47. No. No. You know, you say that now, and then I'm going to force us to do a Super Mario Brothers episode. Please don't. Um, it's going to get vetoed. Um, can't veto were there me. any like uh, names in Hitman Agent 47 that anybody would recognize? Uh, Zachary Quinto from the, really? the terrifically subpar series Heroes. And I can say that because I've watched like the last two. That's yes. another thing for television. I watched that is Zachary Quinto's claim of fame. Yeah, not I'm guessing the, not the Star Trek. I was. Series. I'm guessing most people know him as Spock from Star Trek. Yeah, and actually his best role ever, which was in the uh, J.C. Chandor movie uh, Margin Call, which actually is a really underrated film. I haven't seen that. I still need I'll to see it. Out. It's a good one. Yeah, but that was it. Okay. So how about you, Nick? I, I know you have a, a long well, list that you would like to bring up. I know. Actually, I counted while Toussaint was talking. And, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently I watched 32 films since the last time oh, we recorded an episode, which oh, is shit. only about, what, a month? No, it's less than a month less ago. Less than a month ago. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about all I was going to say, you have what we call a problem. So, <laughs> But I am going to use the list as reference, so okay. that way I remember what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm going to start with the most recent. I've been recently on a animation kick. I have, really? Uh, yes. Like, not uh, like recent animation. Okay. Um, I went back and watched two movies that I kind of missed from five years ago. Uh, I watched Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs for the first time hmm. and How to Train Your Dragon, the first one. Okay. And I was actually quite surprised by both of them in the sense that I really, really enjoyed them more than I thought I would, especially Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. That was uh, for, that's one of those examples where uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller like took a property that sh- just should not work, and it's actually maybe my favorite film of theirs, besides the first 21 uh, Jump Street, mm. which I really uh, loved, but it's way better than the Lego movie as far as, like, Adapting a, you know, like, and I like the Lego movie, but that was, this is a movie that, like, I want to rewatch already because I want to see some of the sight gags that I missed the first time around. And, yeah, and, and the uh, sequel from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs also is not, not awful. I didn't oh, really? You, you didn't I haven't like seen it? it. Okay. So I just know that they didn't return to direct it, so I mm-hmm. wasn't expecting much. But. It's, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say it's, a, it's quite as good, okay. but I, I enjoyed it. So you're saying it's worth a check out? I would, but you being a, Harsh critic of family animated films may hate it. That's me. Um, but no, I was just really... Uh, There's so many voice talents in here that I was... Uh, I actually didn't know where was in the movie until I started James it. Khan. James Kahn. James Kahn is great as a father, and I know you're not a fan, but uh, I loved and Andy Samberg as the big Brett baby. 
just because that was like the perfect, obviously, for him to voice just an overgrown man child, literally. Yeah. And I believe uh, Neil Patrick Harris has a uh, Vin Diesel Groot moment in this because he voices a like animal that has no lines, which makes no sense. Which so. animal is that? That's uh, I, th- I think it's uh, the character's monkey or something. Well, he's got lines. He's the one. He's, oh, he's the he? thought translator monkey. Oh. Like he says one word at a time. Like, okay, and it's always either gummy monkey. bear or, or monkey or, or Steve yeah, okay. or yeah. That's, yeah but that's, oh, that's him. Steve. I didn't know that was him. Yeah, really randomly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's just there's some great. It, it's one of those animated films that like it truly stand like I would say with the rest of like cinema because so many times uh, in this day and age I feel like people make an animated film and they don't use the, the rules of like cinema whether it's the 180 axis of visual uh, scale and whatnot and other things like that where it's like you can tell Phil Lord and Chris Miller are filmmakers and they're making an animated film because um, they they use the medium itself to do hilarious gags that you just could not do obviously in a, re- in a live action film like the Jello Palace which I thought both looked spectacular but also had some great jokes built in um but they do it with such a sense of like visual acuity and like awesome uh placement and like you know use of focus and whatnot that you just don't really see in animated films and to top it all off it's like it really is nothing more than just nine, 90 minutes of just i think you know hilarious joke and gag after gag like it's not very profound or anything like that so i just i had a blast with it and i did not expect to before i started to watch it so I, if for some reason anybody is like me and they didn't see it because, you know, especially because it came from Sony Animation, like mm-hmm. not DreamWorks or Pixar, like um, if you expected nothing from it, then you're in luck because there's actually a lot there and uh, you should definitely check it out if you haven't already somehow like me. Now, did you watch the first How I Train Your Dragon or the second? The first one, okay. but I have the second one up on, you know, like in my queue because I am going to watch the second one. Okay. But I watched the first one and I also really enjoyed that that's definitely a much more straightforward like it's got a good narrative and whatnot um i do think it kind of drags in its final climatic battle and act and whatnot which is just a staple or like a cliche of any real blockbuster or whatnot but like the first hour i thought was terrific and um i um it's got some of the best animation i've ever seen probably ever as far as the it's got that like pixar meets like exaggerated caricature Hmm. um because some of the since they're all Vikings in that movie, those textures of them because they they love uh, fur and whatnot. Uh, like I bought a new, yeah, I bought a new 4K TV this past week. So I've been that's why I've been kind of on an animation kick because I've been wanting to just test like a lot of different types of visual stuff, whether it's black and white animation, you know, whatever. Sure. And um, that is probably the best thing I've ever watched visually on so far uh, that I've tested because I could not believe some of the details that they put into some of the flying scenes when they're like going over both water and rock terrain. Like it's, it's amazing. But also in general, it's actually a pretty great children's film that both gets to have his cake and eat it too because it's like nothing I would say truly terrible happened and yet there is consequences for actions and like there is like lasting effects by the end of it so not everything gets wrapped up so that was another one that I was pleasantly surprised by um the only other movie out of the the many that I saw that I was going to mention was I did go and see uh, The Gift in the theaters Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to talk about it too much because it's one of those that I definitely think if uh, if you're somebody who doesn't like spoilers you should just go see it so that's like my first thing it just just go see it. Don't even listen to what I'm going to say next. But just very basic notes. It's about uh, Jason Bateman and Joel Egerton 
meet one day and apparently they knew each other from high school and they haven't seen each other since and Joel Egerton's character is a little creepy kind of passive aggressive and slowly and subtly worming his way back into Jason Bateman's life and the more the movie goes on the more you start to learn about both of their characters history and who might be telling the truth about how well they know each other and whatnot and it turns into something that I think is pretty pretty both I would say thrilling and yet also kind of deeply uh, effective when it comes to an emotional beat because once you learn exactly what's happened between the two it it becomes a whole other story so I was just kind of floored and uh, it was a great use of Jason Bateman who finally kind of gets to do some more dramatic work like he because in pretty much everything Jason Bateman's ever been in he's always played like a smarmy asshole but here he gets to do it and you're not really laughing because now it's just pathetic and like very uh uh, menacing so yeah uh, I, I don't know if it's the same kind of role but i know when he's played roles where he's still kind of got that smart ass attitude but it's been in more of a serious setting for films like state of play i forgot i always forget he's in that and yeah. i've seen that but yeah it's like that if he's okay. like you know obviously a major character because there he kind of just showed up mm-hmm. and whatnot but yeah it's a lot like that where somebody's like probably saw that and was like no we should get somebody like, you know, we should get him to do it for uh, for a whole film because it is, for me at least, fascinating to watch. And uh, all three major characters, because the other being Rebecca Hall's character, uh, involved, which uh, is a great trio of uh, acting. And, yeah, once again, I'm not going to say too much, but I would say the ending is – I wouldn't – I'm not going to place emphasis on the idea that there's like a big twist, but I do think that there's a great payoff. So uh, definitely go see it if you have a chance. Good stuff. And uh, if you want to uh, find out more about Nick Cheney's other 29 films, just look through his Twitter timeline, which is lengthy. Or the Letterboxd page. That would ah, be a little there easier. Go. There you go. That actually would be a little, yeah. a little easier, probably. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot more than just uh, film. You're also going to see TV and random shit. Okay, very good. So, um, myself, I watched quite a few films uh, in oh, the last few weeks, which is surprising, because I was on a trip to London and Paris, That's right. uh, and for some reason I watched lots of movies while I was en route to there and while I was there, because, you know, nothing really says going around and seeing historical sites like taking time to watch movies, so... I agree. <laughs> the uh, two I wanted to talk about... Uh, actually, three. I'll, I'll mention uh, one really quickly at the end, but uh, the two main ones I want to talk about were The King's Speech, which I saw, again, for the first time since I saw it in the theater, mm-hmm. which I remember when that one Best Picture, thinking, really, that one Best Picture? I didn't, it's a good movie. It, it is a... I thought it was a very good movie, and although I didn't love it when I first saw it in the theater, I really did appreciate it, uh, seeing it for the second time. I thought it was a very enjoyable film, especially since I saw it after being in London for four days and going to a lot of historic sites that are used in in the film and kind of hearing the history of England and just kind of hearing the history of their uh, you know monarchy for the most part. It was really interesting to see and uh, hear things name-dropped that I have been hearing for the last few days. And also, too, I feel like the story is very interesting, especially later on in the film, because I feel like the beginning gets a little kind of boring almost where it's like okay yeah he he has a stuttering problem ah uh, yes he today junior yeah but when you actually get into the relationship when you actually get into the relationship between he and uh Jeffrey Rush's character Lionel Logue uh it's a very interesting film especially in the later parts of it and when you get to the final actual speech it's just uh phenomenal filmmaking in my opinion just because it's cutting in and out while you're still hearing the audio of the speech you're seeing uh other 
parts of the country that you've seen throughout the rest of the film. Uh, and it's just uh, it's done really well. So I still don't know if it deserved to be Best Picture. I do know that um, Joffrey Rush, who did not win Best Supporting Actor that year, got screwed because he was he was really good. And even though I thought Christian Bale was great in The Fighter that year, and his performance, which I think he probably won just because he went so far, like lost out, weight, lost weight, and like. If you lose weight, you're going to win an Oscar. I know, look at fucking Anne Hathaway, fucking one for Les Mis. The Oscar is just one big uh, secret campaign for auditions for The Biggest Loser. Yeah. (laughs) Good, good, uh, Good film, great performance by Joffrey Rush, and uh, very enjoyable. Also... Another film I watched uh, while I was on my trip, I actually saw it for the first time, was last year's Foxcatcher with Steve Carell. Oh. Uh, also, why can't I think of his name right now? Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo. Um, I actually... What the fuck? I what? didn't know what you were talking about before Foxcatcher, <laughs> and then you said Steve Carell. I was like, oh, it's that movie. Oh, wow. You really didn't know what you were talking about the whole time earlier when I was talking about this? No, it's completely sta- sailed over my head. Okay. Anyways, so this film, which uh, was about the... Uh, the uh, Olympic wrestling team, uh, specifically uh, Mark Schultz and his brother David Schultz, and uh, the uh, creepy Steve Carell's character, John DuPont, who uh, is their wrestling coach, even though he doesn't know anything about wrestling. That's not true. Yeah. He knows a lot. He's their mentor. <laughs> He's their mentor. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a very weird movie, and Steve Carell, who uh, got a lot of buzz early on for his performance, and then a lot of people hated it and some people still loved it and I think it's just okay but really Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo are are the ones who make this movie what it is both of them put on actually really good performances and even though uh, Mark Ruffalo gets thought of the best in terms of like true acting performance in this film I actually really enjoyed Channing Tatum in this film I thought he did a really good job especially uh, playing a, a very interesting character that had a lot of like physical movements that you could tell they had to like. So you need to walk really awkwardly, and you need to stuff the shit in your face to so make your jaw look enormous and all that good stuff. So I enjoyed Foxcatcher. Won't go too much into the story because it is a pretty recent film, but uh, it's a very fun uh, film in terms of getting to watch these characters and this sort of cat and mouse game play out, sort of chess game between the three main characters throughout the film. And uh, if you don't know the story about it, um, the the ending is pretty interesting too. So yeah, especially since it's a real story. <laughs> it is in fact a true story. So um, Foxcatcher, I thought was pretty good. Some people gave it not so good reviews last year, but I would uh, say go check it out. And the last film I wanted to mention uh, was my, my wife and I, after returning from our trip, decided to watch Marie Antoinette again. Uh, because it involves Paris and involves Versailles uh, heavily, which is funny because this movie uh, got to have like extremely large access to uh, the Palace of Versailles and the Versailles Gardens, which pretty much has never been really granted to anybody else, at least at the time of this film coming out. Uh, and this is just a another Sofia Coppola movie for me. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of her, even though I do like Lost in Translation, obviously, because I don't think it's a great film like most people do. I think it's a good film. Uh, her other films, for me, have not been very good. So uh, this is another one that I'll, I could take or leave. It's She's got that kind of weird Baz Luhrmann trying to mix old, new style that for some reason just doesn't work out sometimes. So 
At least in this movie, that's oh, okay. uh, what she went with. It's like the other movies aren't really like that. Not necessarily, yeah, okay. but in this film, in this, yeah. that very much what she tried to tried to do, and it it really doesn't didn't work out at least for me. She and, tried to have her cake and eat it too. I got that joke. <sighs> I got that reference. If you didn't get that reference, then go th- fuck you, yourself, San Diego. Oh, I was going to say you're probably better <laughs> off, but you know, it, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> So anyways, that's what we uh, saw here in the last few weeks. If you have anything that you would like to uh, mention that you've been watching lately that you wanted us to uh, mention on the show and you had a, a review on it or something, you can always send that along to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the uh, Batman animated film entitled Batman Mask of the Phantasm. This Christmas, for the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. The Bat! In an all-new, larger-than-life feature film. Now, the Dark Knight confronts his newest and most menacing villain. Your angel of death awaits. The Phantasm. I want you. And faces his greatest danger... Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. A soaring new adventure. Batman. Mask of the Phantasm. The animated movie. Coming for a Christmas you'll never forget. This film was released in 1993 and actually uh, ended up in theaters. I know that because mm-hmm. originally it was supposed to be a straight-to-video uh, uh, release, and they decided uh, a year before the film was released that it was going to be in the theater. So they had to change the animation because it was uh, not going to be widescreen originally. So a lot had to change with it. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, anyways, this film, uh, released uh, in 93, as I mentioned, stars Kevin Conroy as Batman slash Bruce Wayne. There are also other... Wait a minute. <laughs> He's Bruce Wayne, too. What? <laughs> I gotta watch this again. <laughs> <laughs> um, some other people who show up in this film, uh, in terms of their voices, are mostly people you probably haven't heard of, like Dana Delaney. And You've never Hart- heard of Dana Delaney? Hart Botchner. That I don't know. But there, there are some voices, though. Dana Delaney sh- was a Desperate Housewife. Oh, was she? But in the later seasons. Okay. I'm showing my TV nerd side. When don't you, though? That is true. Okay. Uh, there are some other more recognizable voices in this, like Stacey Keach. Also, uh, Abe Pagoda <laughs> shows yeah, up. that was great. And uh, a one of the uh, better Batman animated series voices uh, is in this film. That is Mark Hamill, who does Ooh. his voice of the Joker, which he is still somewhat doing today. Is I, I know he's going to be doing it for another Batman animated film coming up yes, soon. Yes, he is. He's going to be doing uh, The Killing Joke. Now, Toussaint, I have a question for you really quickly before we get into Mask of the Phantasm. But yeah. I'm just curious. The new one that's coming up, is that in any way, like, are there any creative people involved in it that it wasn't? Involved with the Batman the Animated Series? For The Killing Joke? Yes. Well, The Killing Joke is actually based off of like a graphic novel by Alan Moore that's literally called The Killing Joke. I'm sure that there are a lot of like crossover people, but the like this incarnation of the DC animated universe with um Paul Dinney and I his name is Bruce uh Bruce something, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That continuity of the the DC animated universe has been discontinued. Okay. That's um, and now they're just like doing like 
different people on different projects. Okay. So, so is Kevin Conroy going to be voicing Batman in this new film? People not? are campaigning for it, and I hope he actually does get it. So, okay. yeah. And one last question about The Killing Joke before we move on to our review. Yeah. Uh, do you know if that film is going to be like a true animated film, or if it's going to be like that 3D-ish, new-ish animation? I really, really hope that it's not going to be 3D. I hope it's going to be traditional animation. I mean, like... Like, it's going to look like Toy Story, I guess. that's kind No, of a, no, not like that at all. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would I would hope for, but you see so little true animation, especially from major studios right. these the days. The only person that's really keeping it... <clears throat> not even person, but the only place that's keeping it alive is Studio Ghibli. DC has been... As, as much as my criticism of DC when it comes to, like, their, their live action output, their... Um, their direct to DVD or direct to movie um, animation has been on point. Good, all across the board. Well, we will look forward to that. That'll be probably like a 2017 type deal, probably maybe late 2016. Okay, yeah, we'll look forward to that. This movie, though, Mask of the Phantasm, involves Batman being wrongly implicated because you know that's fucking never been implicated pardon me uh because you know that storyline's never been used before in a series of murders of mob bosses actually done by a new vigilante assassin so toussaint uh obviously you are a fan of this film as it was in your top six superhero films yes it was and um you are a batman fan as am i as well and Mm -hmm. one might even call you a bat fan I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. Sure. So yeah. why don't you start us off, Tucson, and uh, just give your overall <laughs> <laughs> your overall feelings on uh, this Batman Mask of the Phantasm All right. little film. Okay. So It is also short, by the way. You should have mentioned it's only an hour and 16 minutes. Yeah. Um, I watched this film, obviously, when I was much, much younger, um, being a fan of the Batman animated series. And this was actually uh, optioned after the completion of the first season, and they wanted to do like a background movie about it. And I'd have to say that, yeah, this is probably like one of my favorite Batman films, simply because it's from a a time and a continuity and a property that I really enjoy, which is the animated series. And it has some of my favorite animators, and it pretty much features what I think is the platonic ideal of an example of Gotham. Like, I love the Art Deco style. I love the heavy use of of shadows and chiaroscuro um the music i think is awesome i love the the opera rendition of the uh classic tim burton batman uh theme it's like that was actually kind of like the the backbone of this entire series like that film became the backbone of the animated series and yeah i I mean it's it's not a a perfect film by any right and it does show its age uh (laughs) Since 1993, <laughs> but I I still really enjoy it. There's a lot of moments in it that kind of have embedded in the the DNA of what I see in in other Batman films, such as like the ending of the Dark Knight when Batman is being chased by the police. It reminded me of the chase scene in this film, which at the time and still for me it holds up as being a really intense chase scene um, where Batman is almost killed. I know that you think this is funny, Nick. But I, it's not that I think that's I know, funny, but I should you, you point wait, out why, why I laughed. Oh, I'll, okay, I'll wait for you my wait turn. wait for your turn, friend. But there is a, a agrarious error in oh, my yes, opinion there is. that cut oh, yes, through the tension is. of that scene for me. One <laughs> <laughs> that defy the laws of gravity, uh, rationality, and logic. Well, that, it, that's Batman for you. The, the other thing about the scene that uh, Nick's referencing that we'll hold off on, but I'll, I'll mention this about it. Uh, it's not like it was one of those things where like we thought about it. Like we rewound the film three times to make sure we were correct, and we were. So 
there's, okay. there's that. All right. We'll get to that though. Yeah. I uh I particularly enjoyed the the flashback moments with uh Bruce and Andrea and seeing them go to like the world of tomorrow and Bruce being amazed by the what was going to be the template? Shut up! No, no, no. The, of... Now I'm laughing just because that whole like Tomorrowland fair type thing. Yeah. Is, especially because you know they show you it in the flashback, but yeah. of course then you see it in like present day what the Joker done to it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking that the Joker in in 2015 that scene just plays out as the Joker is Banksy and he just made Dismaland <laughs> and he keeps taking everybody back to it. <laughs> Oh my god, it's <laughs> that, amazing. That's all I can think of when I watch that. So. Jesus, okay. Yeah, uh, okay, so. high five. Yeah. Alright, that's awesome. Okay. I thought you'd like that. Yes, that is amazing. Um, so continue. I really, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the Tomorrowland, the World of Tomorrow part, and just seeing like the, the car that would become... Like Bruce's Batmobile, like being featured, I thought that was a really that, cool. That, touch. that was uh, a definitely a, a good part of the film, especially when it showed up, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, there's the Batmobile." Yeah, it's good too because you can kind of see it in the background, like, and it's not even like involved in the scene, and then he goes back to it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and just being an animation nerd, like I, I know that there are certain um, subtle nods to other major uh, animated films that maybe other people wouldn't get like in that following scene, like after they got out of Tomorrowland and they're uh, looking at that jeweler who's being assaulted by that motorcycle gang and Bruce like steps in and he like rushes towards one of the, the bikes and actually like jumps onto the hood of it and like kicks the guy off. That's actually a match shot to one from the 1983 film Akira, which is actually one of my favorite I was uh, gonna say I was, all time. when I was watching like that fight scene, yeah. um, I couldn't obviously because I did not have a timeline in my head. I yeah. couldn't trace it back, but it was reminding me of a lot of like anime style, which of course was an influence on the Wachowskis. Yeah, it's, like that kind of like slow motion type yeah. fighting that was at least in 1994 was still relatively new, even though they weren't the first person to do it. And I'm and I'm not sure if it was the same studio, but I wouldn't doubt it was the same studio, but. Um, Sunrise, which is a notable anime studio, was one of the the main contributors of to to the Batman animated series. So yeah, I totally see that. Yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Okay, yeah, you or me? I'll go. Okay. All right. Well. Um, we should probably start off uh, just jumping right into that continuity problem, though. Yeah, let's address that. So the thing that I was laughing at, um, no offense, Toussaint, no, during during the scene in which Batman is being chased by the police, which, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, unfortunately, something happened about halfway through the scene uh, that just made me take pause. So when... <laughs> Literally pause. So we, we did. When, we had to pause yeah. and go back and be like, wait a minute. So when Batman is running around in his little adorable suit, he jumps from one roof because, you know, he's... I, are people following him on the roof? I can't even remember why he jumps off that roof. Or is there a helicopter or something? There's like a helicopter following him. There's okay. some of that. Yeah. There's something like that. So he's like, I got to get off this roof. Oh, I know. I'll jump onto a lower roof. Makes sense. So he does. And he gets onto that roof. When he gets up and, you know, like cracks his neck or whatever like he's like gotten away all of a sudden this is a good reveal apparently there are like literally dozens of cops on this roof all with guns pointing at him like they just knew that this was the roof that he was going to choose to jump on uh however 
This is where they took it a bridge too far for my taste. There are at least two or three cop cars on this roof that are just parked there. Not to mention that this isn't like a second floor. This is like a high rise. This is one of the, you know, this is one of the buildings. And I looked and I swear it's not a parking garage because I even looked to see. (laughs) All you can see are windows. Like seriously, they landed on top of a, you know, uh, a corporate office. And, um, but yeah, and they're all just, there are cops outside the cars, you know, with their guns blazing and whatnot. And then Batman's like, oh, I got to jump off this roof. And he does. And then they're all just stuck up there and they're like, he got away. And it's like, well, yeah, because you, you know, you left your cars up on a roof that you can't get back down. So, okay. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I just wanted I, I to know why that. those cars got on that roof I and how they got that. them back down. That's all. But, um, putting, uh, the laws of gravity aside and physics, um, that is not why I dislike this movie. If anything, that gave me something to engage with. Um, this was not a movie that I would say is for me in any way, shape, or form, unfortunately. Like, I just, I don't like superhero movies yeah. um, in general. And uh, I also, animation is something that I'm very, very wishy-washy on. Like, I'm I'm never inherently interested in an animated property. Like, it's got to do something, whether it's something like... It, you know, like whether it's on TV, it's like I don't really like The Simpsons or, you know, like a it lot of the to, most famous properties, but it has to somehow speak to me like something like the Venture Brothers does because that's so idiosyncratic that like I can't get what that show is doing from anywhere else. The same way that like uh, – same way for movies where it's like if I like an animated film, it's simply because, you know, I'm getting something out of it that I just don't get from any other movie or whatever. Yeah. So – because the only thing I can really, for me, get out of this Batman animated film is like a pure, I would say, distillation of the superhero genre and the you know comic book uh, storytelling. Which, because that's something that I'm just not a fan of. Um, that's all I could glean from this movie, um, because I don't think it offered anything above and beyond its genre. Personally, hmm. um, there were some there were some weird moments that. I was not a fan of the voice acting. I will say <laughs> I liked Mark Hamill as the Joker. That actually did live up to the hype. Uh, his whole, uh, yeah, his whole routine. Like, he's one of my favorite de- uh, depictions of the Joker in yeah, general. So I, that was like the only real thing of the voice acting cast that really did actually kind of make me go, oh, take notice. I thought Kevin Conroy. <laughs> It's going to be blasphemy to some, but I thought that was some of the worst voice acting I've ever you heard. You are an outlier. <laughs> you are. But Andrea, <laughs> you know that it's wrong. Like, I just, uh, I don't know. I couldn't couldn't get into it because it was like melodrama for people who can't voice act. Like, you work with what you're given. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe they should have gave it to another person. Oh, damn. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being an asshole. But, That's fine. Um. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't a fan of voice acting. Another problem that I kind of had was that I thought that this was because it was a feature film length, and obviously it was literally released in theaters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that one of the problems of this script-wise was that it was three different to me, like what it felt like three different Batman episodes because we have an origin story, we have a love story, we have the Joker, which for me, even though he was my favorite part like felt shoehorned into this adventure because first of all he's not even really in the first half and then it's just very very 
uh, barely set up that, like, oh, no, he was t- involved all along type thing. And it kind of reeked of, like, well, we got to have the Joker in it. because that, that move, by the way, couldn't survive the internet these days. Uh, yeah. Giving the Joker another origin story that isn't actually his correct origin story. There's no correct origin story. I know, but that's the problem when you actually give the Joker an origin story. It's just like, you guys suck. Yeah. Because yes. people on the internet are horrible. Yeah. But it's Anyways, true. It's true. Um, and then, okay, moving all of that aside, the one thing that I thought that I was going to be able to latch onto was the animation, but that also just did not do much for me. And I say that as someone who's, like I mentioned earlier, like it takes a lot for me to like an animated property, so maybe it's just because I didn't like the other or whatever, but I was not particularly t- like there were a lot of moments where i thought it was actually quite ugly in its animation there were part and it could have been the transfer on the dvd like mm-hmm. if like you know obviously if you don't clean these things up and it's not the true artist intention but the, there were moments when the black levels were meshing together like and not in a like intentional way but like where you literally had somebody who's wearing all black fall into a shadow but then it just looked like their body disappeared and not like in a stylistic way but like uh, nobody caught that they were the same exact uh, shade of black because maybe it was just not in the budget to get two shades of black um, and then there was like another moment like when like headlights were to turn off but it looked like it reminded me of a, a grindhouse like I wanted this to say real missing in between when the headlights were on and when they were off because it was weirdly still like that's something that is so simple it's literally just the next you know cell of animation the headlights are off and yet it looked stilted like I don't know how you can make that look stilted but it did um so unfortunately i gotta say nothing about this worked for me whatsoever okay but i wouldn't say like i hated it It just it's just not for me yeah i'll say something about the animation too i feel like for the most part this was just the exact same kind of thing you would see in a everyday batman animated series that was with the exception of the opening credit scene which is amazing when they're panning through like the the buildings and everything when it just looks terrific for me at least say hello to a majority of their budget yeah. well that's what I'm saying yeah, though you, they wasted all of their money on the first minute and 40 seconds of the film it was a great I'll, minute and 30 seconds I'll say I'll say three things <laughs> about the animation before I pass it off to your official thoughts Alex okay. one is this was 1994 I think as somebody three, who, three okay yeah. as somebody who's seen animated films from before this uh, you know time I guess I was expecting a little bit more because like I feel like a lot of Disney movies that were animated before this look like not just better in the sense that you know but like it's so clear as far as like effort and money is a huge difference between property like this for me and I get that there's a certain style that I'm sure they're trying to adhere to when it yeah. comes to like comic book uh, reappropriation or whatever you want to call it yeah but there's, 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 there's just certain things that just felt like, like what you said, Alex. As far as like, this felt like they didn't move the budget whatsoever when they went from small screen to big screen. Because the things that work on your four by three box mm-hmm. uh, just don't work as well when you blow it up to the same scale mm-hmm. uh, across an entire widescreen presentation. And um, another thing is like, because maybe I'm spoiled by watching like Miyazaki movies of the '80s or Disney movies from even earlier or whatnot. But that was kind of what I was comparing it to, which is not necessarily fair, but it's still something that pops into my head. And then the other thing I will give credit to is that one part of the animation that I did actually quite enjoy was toward the end um, 
when they're at the Dismal Land and the, uh, <laughs> the I forget what it is. I don't know if it's a fan or maybe something else. But when I think the one instance of either computer animation or something like that, when there's a huge explosion and it's like the entire screen is like basked in like an orange glow with Batman standing in front of it, that was actually visually impressive. That, but the problem is that stood out in a way that it stood out too far because it was kind of like, well, if we were able to spend money here, how come we couldn't, you know, get working headlights? So. Uh, Wait, I will say, yeah. um, to the point of, like, two of your criticisms, we were talking about the, the matching black levels of, like, a silhouette mass behind, like, a shadow or whatever. I'm not sure that might have been, like, a stylistic decision of the of the art style of that show by the time. So, like, so I'd have to, like, go back and, like, rewatch it, like, again in order to, like, be able to really assess for that. The cars on top of the, the, the building, I can't excuse that. That is inexcusable. Okay? I will I will cons- I, get up I will consent that that is a egregious like like it, lapse in logic. What I'm saying about the black levels, yeah. two things. One, it could be the DVD, which okay. has nothing to do with, you know, the original. It still hasn't gotten a proper, proper like Blu-ray right. like release. When when like I was that. watching the DVD, there were other problematic stuff that I did notice, but that was with the transfer itself, not yeah. with the original source material. The only thing I would say that the reason why that like the when I, I brought up the black level part when mm-hmm. uh, is specifically it was when Andrea's character is dressed up in black and she's emerging from somewhere that's you can't see inside the room because it's just a dark room. Yeah. And the, the only reason why I bring it up is that if I'm watching it and I can't tell if it's a for me like a bad stylistic choice or a bad transfer, then it that just tells me that it's not working for me. So that's mostly why I brought that up. Like as far as that went beyond oh, I think there's something wrong with this DVD and like, oh, they intended this, but it's still it looks like there's something wrong with this DVD. Like so that's the only reason why I didn't really go for it even uh, artistically and whatnot. Yeah, this is like a a first generation just a uh, shout out to the listeners like this is a first generation dvd like they thought that special features was just like you get a trailer for another film on there it's this like was that's literally all it was because uh, i borrowed it from you this yeah. the uh the flips disc where you have to put like you know uh the this side for full screen and this mm. side for wide screen oh my god yeah, yeah. so yeah. back when we couldn't handle black bars on our movies right the um and just some of the other uh mistakes that cropped up over this film is like i've just kind of like brushed up on this when this film was originally pitched as a direct to video film. And then it was switched to a, uh, a feature length film, not excusing these mistakes. I can't, I can't excuse them. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be, but I'm maybe going to be a devil's advocate. They had less than a year to, to wrap up this film. And most of the films that you're citing, like the Miyazaki films and for Disney had like two years, if more. That's why I was saying earlier that that it's not necessarily fair to compare them, but it does like, that that just means that a movie like this, you can't approach it really, in my opinion, like to to watch it and hope to get something like that blown away by you know like the animation. Where like if I'm not feeling a Miyazaki film for a moment or something, I can pretty much zone out and just get engrossed by the visuals. You know, where it's like you can't do that with this because what matters to this uh, property, at least for me, is the storyline and how they're handling these properties that you're everybody's so familiar with. I like the design of the Phantasm, like the design of yeah. the Phantasm's mass. That was cool. Yeah. So, if I can uh, jump in here. Nope. Of course. That's okay of course. with you Sorry guys. about that. Yeah. Um, I forgot you were here. I know, right? I can just might as well just show myself out. All right. Uh, I... 
for some reason, have never seen this film before uh, up until yesterday when I watched it for the first time. And being as big of a Batman fan as I am, and as many episodes of the animated series as I saw when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I actually can't believe I've never seen this, but here we are. Uh, I thought this was an okay movie, but at the same time, I feel like some of Nick's criticisms are, are on point, especially the multiple storylines that don't really work together kind mm-hmm. of thing. I feel like they're pushed together, but at the same time, I feel like the people who wrote this film uh, probably were used to writing 20-minute-long television episodes. They had just come off this, the first season. Right, and all of a sudden, we need you to write this hour and 20-minute film that has three acts, sort of, and involves all these characters, and it... It just becomes a really sort of convoluted mess, I thought, in, in certain points. It is a screenplay by four different people. So. Well, and it, it really does show. I yeah. mean, this, this film just does not have a very strong movement from where it's going. Because we have this weird, like, and I think Nick also felt the same way when we were watching it. That we really couldn't figure out if something was a flashback when it started, especially toward the beginning, because they were starting to use the uh, the dream, the shimmer, yeah. Uh-huh. But like they were using it weirdly, I thought inconsistently in the beginning. Like they forgot to add the very first one or something, because they never tipped off that they were going to start. And then as the film went on, it became much more clear. So I guess that's uh, a good sign. Uh, but yeah, to- the very first two flashback, or maybe the first two. I, d- I was like, wait, are we watching something that's happening now? That's, that's when it? Bruce is at his uh, parents' grave and he meets Andrea. Yeah. Which I, at the time, felt like that was happening in, in real time, which made no sense with the previous com- comments that were made of, oh, I miss Andrea, and then he meets her. I'm just like, so are they because meeting up again? Like, it, it What's really isn't weird clear. about the flashbacks uh, when it comes to like Bruce's you know past and... Mm-hmm becoming like the vigilante is that those aren't flashbacks those are like like whole episodes that like we're just saying okay we're just gonna mix around these scenes so that way there's like you know it feels like one movie because there's a difference between flashing back to like you know to a memory and Mm -hmm. like actually flashing back and having an a story a b story and a c story in one flashback then i'm like wait why are we what so that's why i was getting personally confused at first as to like what's supposed to be the present timeline and what's supposed to be uh the once i realized god nick's not memento no, actually, I made the joke that I was like, oh, man, this is like Inception. I'm going to have to watch this at least two more times. But uh, Just to realize you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But um, but that was kind of what I had problems with, like the flashback structure of this movie, was that I just thought it was like overstuffed. And like the, the flashbacks carried more substance, which I don't mean thematically, but mm-hmm. like actually episodically than a lot of the present day stuff, uh, except for the dismal land stuff. And I'll never stop saying that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so that's why I was like, well, why don't we just then make a flashback movie uh, instead of trying to cram it into like a more what I would consider probably is the stereotypical episode of Batman, the animated series, like yeah. with, with the councilman and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I, I think that may be a, a big part of why this, or at least early on in terms of being an animated series that got turned into a full length film, it just... It just did not translate because at the time, I mean, were, were there really that many series that were then turning themselves into films and using the same people to do that? There, there weren't actually many uh, 
first off, there weren't that many superhero films aside from like, of course, Superman and Batman, and there certainly weren't that many animated right superhero films. So, so this was really kind of a an, an early an early vision of what superhero animated films could become. And it just tried to do too much and it, and it really uh, it didn't work out that great. I will say though, I enjoyed uh, some parts of this film, uh, especially everything with Mark Hamill's Joker, who I thought was just a, a great character. And he's, for, a st- he's a scene stealer. Well, and, and for what he was trying to do, very similar to what was done with him in the dark Knight, where you're not getting too much of that character or get annoying. Like, Oh look, he's, Laughing and murdering somebody, this is great. But used sparingly, I feel like that character is is great. You know, it's weird when I was watching this. I started thinking that maybe, like, and I don't know because I haven't seen much of this Gotham, you know, this rendition of Gotham and this property. But I couldn't help but think that, like, maybe the Joker is the hero of Gotham. (sighs) Fuck you, man. You know what? Are you referring to that that that? op-ed that essay that's like what? rolling around some what? bullshit no i just i just thought about this myself and no what are you talking about god i hate you <laughs> anyway uh silence crickets yeah well it's how much we'll give credence to that bullshit yeah uh the, Thank the, you. The, the thing about this film though that i will say that uh has really shown its age are some of the very awkward one-liners comments and one-liners that are made Especially uh, whoever the like boyfriend is of Andrea, the councilman. Yeah, wh- wh- whoever his name is, who I, I can't really remember. I but he- really enjoyed like just jumping forward a bit when he got doused with the Joker the poison, and these yeah. poisons like that was actually pretty oh, no! effectively yeah. creepy. That was funny to me. Yeah. That was, it was, was I thought it was funny and yet creepy in a yeah. great in a good way. Because especially that was actually another moment. I'll really quickly mm-hmm. give praise where I thought the animation was pretty good because I liked the way that the. Um, after they leave him alone and mm. it's dark in the room, and then the shadow of uh, Batman comes across before Batman actually comes in. Like that's a good rule of thumb. Like what I was talking about earlier of uh, I was talking about a lot, how a lot of animation films don't use like the rules of cinema and like the mise en scene. You know, mm-hmm. um, like that was a great uh, example of like how you can actually use things in the background and the foreground without just making things very simple. Like Batman walks in. <laughs> the uh, the point where the phantasm is coming behind the elderly. Uh, mob boss and like turns the chair and sees that it's the corpse of the yep. uh, the mob boss. That's still like one of those affecting shots that I think, oh, that's really fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah. Especially for a PG animated a, film. That yeah. is one thing I'll, gruesome. I'll give. Yeah, credence to it. That is, it's a pretty surprisingly dark film for like what's obviously supposed to be like children's entertainment. Uh, or at least as far as like marketed, I would think, right at children. I enjoyed all the phantasm sequences, especially yeah. in the. Uh, um, the cemetery. That was a cool. Sh- that was a cool sequence. Because some of these images remind or were were, that were reminding me of like what Nolan would go on to do. Yeah. And yet those are like PG thirteen movies and more adults. So it's kind of funny to think that like back then we we were not afraid of scaring children. Yeah. Well, you can see that with other films that were R rated that were marketed to children like RoboCop. So. Hey, every child should see RoboCop. Uh, maybe once they turn like eleven or something. I don't know about like five year olds. That might be kind of creepy, especially that part where they uh, they blast his blood body. squibs. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Blood, 
Uh, what I was going to mention about that that one part uh, about the, the councilman having a really creepy line, uh, something I don't remember exactly what his line was, but he said something about wanting to to you know get with uh, with Andrea, and, mm-hmm. and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was really weird. My favorite part of the entire film, though, is when uh, Joker is at his creepy Tomorrowland, Dismal Land. Yeah, just pardon me. Um, <laughs> And the uh, the when they're on the ride too, and, and this comes up in this scene, and the uh, the, the wife is cutting the dinner, which is the bologna. You know, yeah, but she so she's cutting the bologna for Joker, and he's eating whatever. When he grabs the bologna and starts using it as a weapon against Batman, <laughs> it is so ridiculous yeah. and amazing at the same time. That's good. I mean, at the time, kids would probably be like, "Oh, that's funny," because he's using bologna as a Joker, but as me. I'm like, man, that's so ridiculous that he's got bologna there, and then he actually picks it up and uses it and starts whipping him like a like an like an old woman in the 1930s whipping a like, get away from me, you're horrible. Oh man, that was great. That was that was wonderfully bad, just he's, like a lot of other things in this movie that were good and bad at the same time. He's resourceful. I also like that he keeps he's passive, uh, passive aggressively hitting on the robot woman. Like he keeps like putting his arm around her and then like taking pieces of her quote unquote skin or whatever it is uh, putting his pocket off of her yeah like I'm like oh what are we going to do that for later jack off to it <laughs> so uh, yeah this was an interesting children's program yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit well, what uh, else was he going to do with the skin I mean I'm uh, sorry but... make a suit out of it oh that's true yeah mm. uh, let's talk a little bit about the actual uh, the, the phantasm the, uh, the main antagonist sort of yeah uh, what, what do we think about that being a character? Now, is that a character that was created specifically for this movie, or yes. is that evolved anyway in previous Batman? Uh, not in any previous Batman, and really hasn't been touched on except for like in like standalone comic book form. But it's also been harkened back to um, at the very end of this DC continuity in a really cool way, actually. So. Okay. Because um, I'll say this, I feel like it makes no sense. I was going to um, say, I want to know if one of those four writers was one of the uh, uh, showrunners of Scooby-Doo, because I was waiting for Bruce to be like, oh, jeepers creepers, it's Andrea. And not you know, And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling bats. Okay, for some... So, so let's just say this. Tucson's going to kill me. Nah, nah. So this, I'm grinning from ear to ear, though. It's like, whatever. Th- this Go is a 1993 you. animated film, animated series, it was. Mm-hmm. And it obviously, watching it now, it's still playing on some different uh, stereotypes, especially involving women, uh, as I noticed in this film, that they are... I wouldn't say like delicate or anything, but especially like the the kitchen thing with the uh, the Tomorrowland it's type a thing. Very patriarchal, yeah. Uh, it, it's depiction to... of Gotham, whereas like Tim it... Burton's uh, Batman Returns, you know, has Selena Kyle like yeah fucking shit up. Like this Gotham, this this depiction, like in the animated series, is kind of the the perpetual 1930s like retro futuristic yeah. ideal. Kind of like everybody thinks Al Capone is still alive. <laughs> Yeah, and he probably is alive in this in this world. Yeah, an Al Capone like character is alive in Gotham. But yeah. what what I was going to say is that she is is playing this phantasm character the entire time, and it's weird though because in this universe where Batman basically does he he's not like a like true superhero like Superman is where he has these physical magical talents almost like mm-hmm. that where the phantasm 
for some reason does, and it really doesn't make any sense to me. Like, Wait, the, which like the ability to disappear? Like the, the ability to disappear, well, the ability to smoke. There is okay. a... There is, there is a <laughs> no, I'm just saying that is literally a, what the explanation plot hole for. Has what, to... What's that? Well, that she always, like... It's like a smoke bomb. She yeah. Puts, she never disappears out of thin air. She disappears out of smoke. Like, she always clicks her little button, smoke comes, and then when he goes through the smoke, then it's like, how did she get away that fast? But that's... The power right. of animation. Right. Well, but that's the problem, though, that it, that it does then become hey man, magical. cars are on roofs in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So anything is possible, I guess. But when you're going for a series that it tries to be somewhat realistic. Well, the Joker has the same, like, gas. I mean, everybody's got gas for some reason. I don't know. Like, they have, like, a sale on it somewhere. But uh, Joker <laughs> has his, like, uh, gas poison, I think. And then she's got her gas diversion. Yeah. And I want to say The bad. squirting flower that spits acid. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh... There's, well, like I was saying before, there is a glaring pothole. Plot hole. No. Plot hole. No way. <laughs> plot hole. There's a plot hole in this? Shut Holy up. shit, dude. Um, I don't fucking believe you. As to... But hold on. Was there a pot hole in this movie? How, I do want to know. How does... That's I'm how the cars <gasps> ended up on there. It was like uh, the second Thor movie they were, where it's, yeah. like a, it's like a paradox. Okay. And it falls through and then it falls from the sky onto the roof and that's oh, how it happened. Yeah, Schrodinger's cars, man. If you look up on the roof, are they there or are they not? What's up? There is a, uh, <laughs> there is a plot hole. As to how Andrea Beaumont actually acquired these skills and where, and how long she had actually been away from Gotham, uh, kind of like uh, Batman in the uh, the Dark Knight Rises, and like how long did he stay down in that hole? No, just like how, not how long did he stay down in the hole, but like doesn't he like literally leave the hole and then it's like oh he's back at Gotham? Yeah, like, that, like that afternoon. I mean, not to mention that nobody can get back there at any way. He's just there. Yeah. So N- now that I'm thinking back on it, like it doesn't explain where she gets from, but it at least explains like the 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 gap in time because we see that in one of the last. Uh, flashbacks. She's going back to her house with her father, and the person that we will soon, some someday, know to come to be as the Joker walks out, and we pretty much assume that the, oh, really? the Joker killed. Yeah, I miss that. He picked up the, well, the, the. That's the entire reason why she's wanting to get back at the Joker. Yeah, yeah. I guess I yeah. was not paying. You really, you really weren't paying attention. I, no, Batman I was took out a attention. fucking picture and painted Joker's fucking lips onto his face. Oh, that was that. Okay, wait. I remember that scene, that was, but I didn't that know him. that that was the. <laughs> I, I really thought he just you? only had a red pencils like around it. Are you for real right now? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, then, what's the point of the councilman in this entire story? What the councilman sold them out. Oh, the okay. councilman allowed. Oh my god, do I have to explain this to you? No, you no. Don't. I'll look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, oh my god. Anyway, um, hey, Alex fell asleep in the last ten minutes. Oh my god. Anyway. Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you for pointing that out, Nick. Anyway. I don't want to be the only person on the chat. So we block. see, the, back to what I was talking about, we see the person who will soon come to be the Joker come out of that, that house, and Andre is screaming out, and we know that there has to be some gap of time between like him turning into a Joker, so that makes sense as to how much time like Andre has been away from Gotham. And the well, can I that. actually defend what you're saying? Not about the Joker, but okay. about the Andre yeah. subplot. Technically, yeah. didn't she like almost always have these skills? Because one of the very first she was always skilled in, like, flashbacks she has is when combat. she like uses jujitsu against Bruce Wayne. Well, yeah. he's using jujitsu, but then she like, you know, uh, 
whatever you call it, but like gets them on the ground, and yeah. that's when they start their foreplay, which is a very awkward running gag. That yeah, Al- Alfred I, always walks in on them having sex. That apparently. always made me feel uncomfortable. I was just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Anyway, it's called an erection, Tucson. I. <laughs> It's also funny Christ some, of, me. <laughs> some of Alfred's uh, some of the no- the noises he makes in this movie. He like walks in on them. Oh, yeah. Oh, literally oh. Like, five times My when God. Alfred would like. He's just a peeping tom, really. Like he doesn't actually butler. He just watches his uh, guy have sex. He he wears a, <laughs> uh, a Superman costume. Hides in the cup. I closet. liked his reaction to Batman putting on the suit the first time. Like he was like scared shitless. Yeah, that was a uh, scared shitless. Yeah, no. because he's seeing the kid that he raised up like give himself entirely. I know this is the kid thing. that, as he puts it, and I feel like this is probably like there's some form of this line in every Batman property. But he's like, "I wiped your bottom. Of course, I know you better than everybody else, or something." Can yeah. I? Like, there's always references to Alfred wiping Bruce Wayne's ass, and I just <laughs> want to know why. <laughs> uh, it's intimate. It's fundamental. Oh, oh boy, it got weird. But like he was. <laughs> Does that mean the parents never wiped his ass? Because, I mean, he was potty trained by the time that the parents were shot. So it's like, did the parents really never change Bruce Wayne's diaper? I would assume that they're And I really want to get into this and maybe figure out the chronological uh, chronology of this. It's not that hard to understand. When he would have stopped potty training. Two rich people had a kid, and they let the butler take care of the baby. Okay, so my question for you is this. Then why does Batman, or I should say Bruce Wayne, have any emotional attachment to his parents? Because if my parents didn't wipe my ass, then you know what? I'm not going to mourn their death. That's well, just me. Well, maybe you have to like go home and ask them to make sure that they did that, just to be sure. Oh, I know. I've seen the pictures. Since we're getting really uh, all on over topic, the pl- we're getting really all over the place here. I, I would sorry, like to- I like to dig deep into movies, Alex. I thought that's what we were doing here. <laughs> Okay, Alex. Um, one thing I was going to mention about the animation that I thought was was interesting in this film, and in a bad way, unfortunately, okay. again, um, is that I feel like Bruce Wayne is fucking enormous in this movie, which makes no yeah, sense. He looks like built Superman. As fuck. No, it doesn't. It's it, it's not like even that. There he's oh, built like, as fuck. Like he or he's had that, like that broad like shoulder. He does, Superman but it's like it's it's like everything. He's like this. You see Andrea, who's like this, you know, delicate little thing, whatever, and then. He, <laughs> That's what the creators want you to think. See, but that's unfortunately yeah. what they were going for here is she is this small female. Yes. And you have. That's but, why she needs to be the Phantasm. Okay. What? I'm just saying, like, that's why I think that that twist was, like, supposed to be so mind blowing. I don't think like, that <gasps> twist is. Uh, like, I'm. This is a criticism of the film. I think that yeah. twist is absolute shit. It, it doesn't <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't it, it, it's a bad twist. I'm gonna say that about no, no, this film I, I agree with because that, like the first scene like shows like Batman like fighting uh, the Phantasm and then suddenly we go to this next scene where this mysterious femme fatale is aboard this this fucking like uh, plane and I'm supposed to believe that they're not related <laughs> at all. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that the twist wasn't obvious. I'm saying I think yeah. part of the reason why they thought this twist would be like a twist is because. People would not have made the correlation in their head that uh, this quote-unquote tiny, fragile woman was this big. Because the suit, the phantasm, is even bigger than Batman. So it's yeah. like, does she, is she getting inside like like an inflatable Stay puff costume underneath the phantasm cloak? I just don't get how it's that big. Andrea's father isn't seen for more than like maybe like three scenes in the whole film. So Also, the uh, phantasm has the same voice as Andrea's father, which makes no sense. So 
Really? Oh. Stacy Keach does the voice of that, too. But then it's his daughter, which is kind of weird. Nice. She can pull that voice well, out. Well, if they had the same genes, then maybe, you know, if she really goes deep. Well, it is a mask, and it probably has, like, some type of, like, voice distortion thing in it. <laughs> maybe she just, like, every so often, like, hey, Dad, um, I have a... Uh, just ignore this microphone, but could you say some stuff for me? I just want you to like, just go through this list. Okay, yeah, what do you want me to say? Oh, just uh, just a few phrases. Chucky saw yeah. your angel of death awaits. Okay, great. See you later, Dad. Yeah, that also was a very violent part, too, where he uh, has the uh, mob boss trapped in the uh, the uh, grave. Mm-hmm. And I love that. pushes over the gravestone and brutally murders you him. You are always yeah. a big loser. <laughs> you are always a loser. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you want me to start final ratings, or do you uh, want Tucson to start? Or I want you to start. Why don't you? Okay. Why don't you start, and we'll end with Tucson, since uh, he's the one who really matters because he's the one who actually cares about this movie. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh oh. And I'm going to get my rating first, and then just kind of say a few words. So okay. I'm just going to let the bat out of the bag, so to speak, <laughs> instead of cat. It's. Uh... Uh, I give this a one star out of five, and it's pretty much the only enjoyment I got out of this was Mark Hamill's performance, uh, voice performance as the Joker, and a few other little bits and pieces that I I did, you know, enjoy as far as like, oh, that's can't be fun melodrama that you know whatever but this is just doing so many things that I'm just not interested in that I just and because it's not doing them I would say exceptionally well like it it just does not connect with me whatsoever i've never been a fan of batman the property that much uh and well really any superhero but he's definitely not one of the ones i've ever really liked um and uh yeah i just one of the big things i couldn't get over when watching this was the fact that the cars I, was the cars on the fucking roof because i just uh i mean i hope they had the e-brake on but anyway uh no but was when I I was surprised to learn that this was a theatrical release because I couldn't get over the fact that this felt like a like a bad episode of the show and not of like a standalone film because I was hoping that going into it that it would feel like a I would say uh, you know its own story and like have merit uh, that existed outside of the existing property like and it felt to me like this was like made to sell Burger King toys I just. I was not a fan, and I'm I'm sorry, Tucson. That's okay. So this this was not for me. We can have a difference on this and still be friends, man. Oh, thank God. It's all good, man. It's like the anti-America right there. That's true. You have differences? Fuck Fuck you. Enemies. Enemies for life. Would Uh, you like to know more? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I will give this a okay rating, I guess, of two and a half out of five. Okay. I didn't really. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Just, just okay. Yeah. I didn't really think there was anything that special here, but at the same time, um, I can judge this as a early sort of innovator when it comes to animated superhero films because this is really before um, any any of these films really got made in terms of animated hero films, uh, in terms of superheroes. That is, um, the Brave Little Toaster was a superhero. Sure. Crickets. Um, anyways, I, I don't know. I just um, there was nothing spectacular about this film other other than Mark Hamill's voice work as the Joker, which I think he is terrific at. And the animation with the Joker was actually really 
spot on, I thought, in terms of animating him. Although everything else, though, is just really awkward, especially seeing it for the first time as an adult. I wasn't crazy about a lot of uh, the story, uh, especially the storyline and its continuity, which was not very good. But it's still Batman, which is my favorite superhero. Uh, it's still uh, a you know pretty interesting storyline when it comes to uh, the fighting scenes, at least. Uh, I was enjoying that and enjoying the parts where he's Batman. But the whole package didn't really work that well together. So I'll give this the same rating I gave Chappie, and I will give it two and a half out of five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, I have the most positive assessment of this film because it is on one of my top... Yeah, it is one of my top favorite superhero films, and I still very much enjoy it, even knowing all these criticisms looking back on it. Let me ask you one question real quickly. What's up? So do you kind of, now we've talked about them more, do you agree with some of these criticisms? I, d- I do. Other than just the, the cars on the roof? I do agree with these criticisms, and I can totally see how this hasn't aged well. Like, I can... I can say for the same for the the uh, nineteen eighty nine like Michael Keaton Batman even like that hasn't aged well either. Uh, but those are still two of my favorite films just because of the time they entered into my life and that they still have like I have an affectation for them. But mostly, I know that you guys didn't really enjoy the the flashbacks and weren't able to follow them. It's like I kind of was. Maybe that's because I've seen it so many times. And well, I, we're pretty illiterate when it comes to being able to read a film uh, chronologically. And, and, I, and I know that... Uh, Chronology, pardon me. I know that I'm going to get a lot of like raised eyebrows and a lot of like like rolling eyes. But, but you wanted to bang Andrea, didn't you? No, that's actually not what I'm going to say. Is like <laughs> The thing that I enjoy the most about this film is something that I hearken back to in my top six was that I enjoyed the arc of Batman and Andrea in this film. Hmm. I like looking back on seeing like these two like young lovers who were going to like embark on a different life together and that Batman, Bruce Wayne was pretty much on the cusp of whether or not he wanted to go through with this. And Andrea was like the one thing that was keeping him from divulging into that. And just seeing these two people who, um, who came from such a bright start at the beginning, who very much cared about one another and for whatever reason were set on their different paths and like met with tragedy and they decided to like go on their own separate like tangents of vengeance and seeing how far they diverge from one another and eventually like seeing at the end when uh, Batman finds Andrea's locket in, in the Batcave and Alfred gives him that speech, you know, is like, you've been in the dark for so long, I thought you would never come out of that and seeing like where they end up with Andrea on that ship saying that she's already alone and Batman on the top of that, that, that skyscraper just about to like dive into like another like escapade as a vigilante, like seeing like what could have been and that will inevitably always be is like, that's the tragedy of Batman for me. And that's what I enjoyed about it. Um, so it's not a perfect film by any right. Not absolutely, absolutely not. But that's something that resonated with me a lot for this. So I'm going to give this a three and a half out of five. Also, another thing that uh, Nick and I were were saying that we thought would uh, sort of make a difference for you, being Mm -hmm. someone who saw this when you were a lot younger, is that there's a lot of nostalgic feelings that come up with films with me that I Mm -hmm. enjoy. Like, I still like watching Little Giants, even though I'm sure it's a really, really bad children's movie. (laughs) Looking back on it as as a grown man. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I watched that for the first time, I'd be like, what the fuck is this shit with Moranis? (laughs) But... So, do you feel like there's anything like that with this? Do you, do you watch absolutely. it? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Like it's it's really rough. The animation is is pretty rough for its time, but yeah, okay. I love it. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Well, if you have a uh, review on Batman Mask of the Phantasm and you'd like to send it in to us, so we'll always take that at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, if you have a review on the film we're going to do next week, as we're moving to a, a slightly tighter script, uh, as it has, um, in terms of film, in terms of teaching film, I would think this is this is towards the top in terms of if you just wanted to show someone what a film as art looks like, I think this film would be a good example you could start with. And that is uh, the film Chinatown. Directed I thought by... you were going to say Chappie. Yeah, yeah. Well, we already did that one, so we couldn't use that for this episode. I know, but like you episode. said, that's a movie you can always learn from and, you know, teach. So I thought maybe we were going to dive even deeper. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Chinatown, uh, directed by Roman Polanski when he still was allowed oh. in the U.S. Uh, it's a lifetime f- ago. Film, yeah, really, it is, though. We might have to have a conversation next week about separating artists from uh, from their works. That is, I would uh, enjoy that. Yeah. That would be quite a conversation to have, and I think we should remember See, to See, sometimes that. I say good things, Alex. Sometimes. Just appreciate me, damn it. Yeah. It's so rare that it's like kind of one of those things where it's I know. You know, kind of I hard. Know. Anyways, uh, the film uh, stars Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway. And if you'd like to follow along at home, uh, you can watch that film on Netflix right now. Uh, and we'll be talking about it on episode 30, which is coming out next week. We'll also have another special guest on that episode. Hey. Uh, and it may or may not be another female. So <gasps> we'll, we'll see. We, we could have uh, another voice here that is not a man again. So look out for that uh, next week. And speaking of upcoming episodes, I wanted to give you, the listener, a chance to sort of think about this as uh, we've decided to do another top (coughs) six episode coming up in two weeks. Uh, And it's going to be, and this is a little bit um, in terms of um, probably a little harder to come up with your list if if you're not, you you probably take longer to think about it because it's not a lot uh, of options. So su- yeah, superhero animated film, Disney animated film. This is a lot of uh, very clear cut yeah. uh, criteria, so to speak. And this is a little bit broader. Uh, and that would be our top six revenge movies. Oh yeah. So if there is the main plot uh, of the film involves revenge by one of the, the, the either main antagonist or main protagonist, uh, that would be a film that could be in your collection. Uh, and also, too, I think uh, this is something I at least want to hammer home, that it doesn't mean that if, if you were ranking these films, it doesn't mean that even if you like one film more as a total film, you wouldn't necessarily have to rank that ahead of another film if you like the revenge storyline better in that right, film. Right, the, the list we are making are not the top six favorite films that has revenge in them. Yeah. There are, like I would say, top six films that we think best exemplify revenge as a theme or as a you know mode, whatever you want to say. Storyline, yeah. whatever. So that is coming up uh, on episode 31, and if you'd like to submit your list to us and what your top six revenge films are, we'd love to uh, get those and we'd love to read them on the air when we have our episode in two weeks. So that is something to look forward to as well. If you want to catch up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, since we've been updating those uh, sites very frequently lately, uh, you can find us at Film Tank Show on uh, those three sites. You can also find us on our website, where you can find all of our episodes uh, at filmtankshow.com. And as I mentioned, anytime you want to send us an email, we're available at filmtankshow at gmail.com. And also, uh, listening to our episodes, you can find them on iTunes right now. 
where you can find us by searching Film Tank Show. So from Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We will catch up with you next time. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.